then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. We'll stop there. So the new heaven and the new earth. That point two is important because that is the thrust of the book of Acts. That's why Jesus gave us a great commission. That's why he commissioned his Apostles and his disciples here in Acts chapter 1 before his ascension. He talks about the spread of the church. And, uh, and why is this? Because he wants to save souls. So there's eternity. There's heaven to gain. There's hell to lose. And then we have the church. The ecclesia. So the everlasting God. Eternity and the ecclesia, the called out ones. God has commissioned the church to bring the message of salvation with eternity in the balance. I mean, that's a pretty significant responsibility. And I want us to I want us to think about that and feel that as we read through the book of Acts. Uh, that's um, you know, these disciples, this church have heard the word of Christ and they're taking that word and their understanding is that Jesus continues his ministry, eternity is in the balance, and they are commissioned to take the gospel to those who do not know Jesus. So at this juncture, we're with Philip in Samaria. We'll read, we'll read and comment. How's that? That's what we'll do tonight. So verse four, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now it's important to connect the scattering of the church to the persecution of the church. We've noted along the way that there were problems within the church, yet there were problems without there was opposition, there was resistance, but then there were certain times that something happened within the church. And none of these things have been able to really slow the church down or stop the church because Jesus in that ministry strengthens the church. The church had been scattered and we've got a man, he is on the loose. His name is Saul, verse 3 of chapter 8. He was ravaging the church. He was there when Stephen gave his sermon. He was there when 
the people decided to stone Stephen. He was he gave hearty, hearty approval to this, and the church was scattered. Right there it is, verse four. I like to, uh, you know, when we have our Bibles open, I like to use my eyes, and I also like to use my finger and put it right there. We need to, I mean, and really, that it is a big deal that. All of us see what is written in the scriptures. So there it is, verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now, those who were scattered were the church. They were church people. That couldn't have been a very convenient time for them. Nevertheless, they... they They maintain the idea of this mission, this commission that they have. Wherever they go, they're preaching the word. And we have this Philip. I like to call him Deacon Philip. We saw him back in Acts 6. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And we ice skate right over verse 5. And we don't fully take in the... Let's use this word, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. I mean, this is like oil and water. These people do not mix. Remember when Jesus went to Samaria? In John chapter 4, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. She was flabbergasted that he would even talk to her. Her being a woman, but also her being a Samaritan woman. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So what's going on here? Philip didn't seem to worry about that issue. You know, the Jews considered the Samaritans a bunch of half-breeds. There they were. They were down. They were, it says it went down, but I, I think actually Samaria was north. I believe that's right. So he went down to the city of Samaria Samaria, and began proclaiming Christ to them. So something is something has changed. I think Jesus laid the foundation for bringing the gospel and the good news to Samaria. We read about the Samaritan revival that was sparked because of this woman's testimony, but then because the people saw for themselves. It wasn't just her word anymore. It was the word of Christ. And they were converted, and there was a lot going on there in John chapter 4, there in Samaria. And Philip is back there, scattered, and there he goes, down to Samaria. And Luke records it for us, and he's proclaiming Christ to them. Why would he do that? Why would he give the Samaritans, who really didn't, from a Jewish perspective, didn't deserve any good news, Why would he give him good news? Well, the Lord had done a work in his heart. And it's all about nations now. It's all about people who need Christ. It doesn't matter. Skin color doesn't matter. What matters is in our sin, we are dead. We're dead in the water. And we're going to suffer the consequences of of those sins. We're sinners. Samaritans, the Jews, whoever, whatever nation, they need to hear Christ. Christ is the answer. Christ has the answer. 
So he's preaching. So we have a, we have a scattering and we have a proclaiming. And then verse 6, the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. So the crowds are, there are crowds and they are listening. They're not divided. It says they're in one accord and they're paying attention. This is, this is a mark of, a, of God doing a work. And someone will pay attention to the gospel or the proclamation of Christ. They're paying attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, these signs attesting to the authenticity of the message that Philip was proclaiming. We have a little more information. Luke tells us what was taking place there in verse 7. In the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. I mean, this is, this is the, the power of the gospel. This is the Lord's intent to change hearts, to change lives, to make a difference, to transfer folks from uh, the road to hell and eternal darkness and put them on the narrow path that leads to light, to lead, that leads to the new heaven, the new earth, the celestial city. That's the Lord's intent. So we see this scattering and this scattering leads to the proclaiming and, and then the proclaiming leads to the fact that many of these were healed, the healing of, of many right there. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed in verse eight. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So scattering, proclaiming, healing, rejoicing. You know, when the Lord's word goes forth and there's response to that word and hearts are touched and lives are changed, there is rejoicing. I love the spirit here at Auburn Baptist Church that we have rejoicing taking place because of the the work of the Lord in our lives. Joy is a hallmark of the Christian faith. You know, you can go through difficulties, but those difficulties do not erase the joy that God gives us. So there's much rejoicing and things are going to shift now. In verse 9, now there was a man. So Luke is... His, he's taking us from the bird's eye perspective and he's in a general uh, word concerning what was going on in, in Samaria. And now he's going to take us to a specific situation for our instruction. So verse nine, now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. That's something. He's, he is somebody, right? He's somebody, but not so special. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. So... In the eyes of these people, 
Simon has some degree of authority or or power. He's he's got their attention. He is a what? He is a magician. He he practices his craft with the sleight of hand. And he's astonishing the people of Samaria. And he's claiming to be somebody great. And they all, right here, there's a, there's a uniformity there. There's a unity there. From smallest to greatest, everybody's saying the same thing. This man is what's called the great power of God. Now I wonder where Luke is going with this. He's telling us the story. This is interesting. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time. So he had, he had some... Uh, he had some kind of a track record with these people. And he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. That's what he was known for, this man named Simon. Luke's got us on the edge of our seats. What's going to happen next? I like that word right there, that little conjunction, contrast, a sharp contrast. Verse 12, but, but, in spite of, what they thought of Simon, and in spite of their giving attention to Simon and his, what he was known for with his magic arts. Bible says, but when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. My goodness. It reminds me of of the promise that Jesus made, that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. You know, and that's what what we have to, we, we take comfort in this, that Christ builds his church in spite of issues within the church and definitely in spite of opposition that comes from without. Because we've seen both as we've, read through this book, the opposition, the issues, and the church keeps rolling along. The church keeps growing. Jesus superintends his church. I want to take note here about what Philip was preaching. What was he preaching? Well, he was preaching the good news. Uh, Make no mistake about it, the gospel means good news, and it is good news. That Jesus, that Jesus came from heaven to earth is good news. In fact, it's not just good news, it's the best news. That Jesus came to save. I like what Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am humble and lowly of heart. Um, Christ. So there's the good news. What? About the kingdom of God. So he's preaching the kingdom of God. I love that. Uh, Well, how in the world could Philip preach the kingdom of God unless he has a king? Well, that's it. He's got a king. And I've got to do something about this alarm at some point. Um, I'm going to take it off the seven o'clock. Philip preaches the kingdom of God and there it is the name of Jesus Christ he is the king he is the one who has conquered death hell and the grave he is the one that took our place on the cross 
He's the one that bore our sin. He's the one that shed his blood. He's the one that forgives. He's the one that leads. He's the one that baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does all that. He administers and builds his church. And what was the response there? I like this. They were being baptized, men and women alike. My goodness. How'd you like to have been there? Just for a minute? Just to see? Well, Luke tells us the story. Even Simon, remember, Simon comes into play there. He's the one that was mentioned in verse 9. This man named Simon, this magician. Even Simon himself believed. I like the way Luke puts that. You know, of all the good that was going on, even Simon believed. Isn't it interesting that the invitation, God's invitation to salvation goes forth. It goes forth. And it was for Simon. And Simon believed. There it is. Even Simon believed himself believed. Believe it or not, Simon believed. And after being baptized, so he not only believed, but he himself was baptized. And he continued on with Philip. So he believed, he was baptized. And I take that he continued on with Philip to mean that he bonded with Philip. He was resonating with what was taking place there. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. My, my goodness, God does a work. Now, verse 14, and this is instructive. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, I guarantee you they stood up. They... They were, God had their full attention. What? Samaria? What's, say that again. Even Simon, something's going on in Samaria. The word is spreading. The apostles in Jerusalem, remember, they were not scattered. They stayed. They did not leave their posts. They stayed in Jerusalem. They heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them Peter and John. So we see Peter and John here. Primary apostles, and they are going to Samaria to investigate, to put their eyes on the situation and attest to what God was doing. And this is really important for the apostolic witness. Somebody says, well, you know, why couldn't Philip get that done? Well, they needed at this juncture, especially for who the Samaritans were, they needed the apostles attesting to what was taking place. So there's Peter and John. They go to Samaria. And the Bible says, who referring to Peter and John, came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Again, I believe this is part of the apostolic witness. They needed to be a part of this. They needed to their eyes on the situation. 
After all, they're going to be taking this news back to Jerusalem. And there has to be that testimony of the apostles. Verse 16, for he, that is the Holy Spirit, had not fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Again, I'll say it again. I think this is because of the necessity of the apostolic witness to affirm what was taking place in Samaria at the preaching of Philip, who was a deacon, and Peter and John are part of that. By the way, this is the last time we read about John in the book of Acts. We don't see him again. So they're laying their hands on the people. This is all taking place in Samaria, and the people are receiving the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is wonderful. This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then there's a new development. What's that development? Well, let's look at it. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Hmm. I mean, think about it. He's offering them, Peter and John, money. And they're the ones that said, remember, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Remember the beggar, the lame beggar. Well, I wonder what their response would be to this man Simon, who's offering them money. This seems to be the world that this man had lived in. He had made a living from his magic arts. And now he's offering them money. Saying, give this authority to me as well. Now, I think that's important. That that word that he is speaking to Peter and John. Give this authority to me as well. He wants the authority. Uh, He doesn't even know what he's asking for, I don't think. He's, I mean, he wants apostolic authority, and he's not an apostle, of course. Uh, what's What's he doing? He's out of bounds. He's saying, I want the authority that you have. I want to do what you do. He's speaking to Peter and John. Give me this authority. Why can't I have it? Here's some money. And then he goes on. So that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You know, you read that and and in spite of what's taken place in his life and the what's the report that we have here in verse 13, that he believed that he was baptized, he doesn't get it. He just, he just, he's treating the spiritual life. He's treating the Holy Spirit. He's treating the apostles, the church, as if it's, this is another, another part of his show. 
He needs one more trick. It's like uh, everywhere I go, I can do this. And if he's going to offer them money for it, he would certainly try to make money off off of it. We did mention last week that this, uh, this event, this man gave rise to what was known as the practice of simony in the early church. Um, buying and selling ecclesiastical office. So you can see in the, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, they would, you know, well, who's going to be the next cardinal? Well, let's just give it to the one who can pony up the most money. It was practiced. It's well documented. The practice of simony. It comes right from this text and it occurred, well, 500 to 1500. Um, just, a, just a really a deplorable situation, buying and selling. I like what Peter said. We're not surprised that Peter chimed in right here, are we? Peter said, but Peter said to him, what did he say to this guy? He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter For your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. So in Peter laying out this word of discipline, there is the opportunity. Peter is instructing him to repent of this act of this attitude. Therefore, repent of this. What's he call it? Wickedness. That's all it is. It's wickedness. This, this man has, he has no clue. He knows what he's asking for, but he doesn't know what he's asking for. This is not the way the church operates. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter goes on, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. So this man gave outward signs that he was a convert, but that is not being fleshed out as the story unfolds and Peter has stern words for him. I see now. I can see it now. That's what he said. I see that you I see where you are now. You are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. You're not free. You're you are in bondage. You're in bondage to your old life. But Simon answered and said Pray to the Lord for me yourselves. Hmm. Hmm. He's, he is uh, resisting, let's put it mildly, he's resisting what Peter just told him to do. 
He's, he's going to try to tiptoe through the tulips. He's going to dance around the corner of this one. He's going to try. Pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. Well, that's not... Look, verse 22. What did Peter say? Therefore, I'm using my finger. Therefore, repent of this wickedness. This is nothing but wickedness of yours. It's yours. You have to own it. And pray the Lord. That's the direction. That's from the apostle. That's from Peter. Pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. And then he tells him why. And then Simon comes back with, he's not willing. You pray for me. You pray. He's not going to do it. He's not going to. He's not going to humble himself. He's not going to submit. He gave indication that he was a convert, but there is nothing in the aftermath that would suggest that he is a convert. Nothing. So what do we learn from it? Why is this here? What do we learn? Well, once again, a couple things. Number one, the church isn't perfect in its discernment. The apostles, there was, it looked right. It looked right. Hey, he believes. Hey, he's baptized. Let's baptize him. Hey, he's with us. Hmm. So the church is not always perfect in its discernment. We're not. And we, we, we have to own that. Um, I think... It also, it also shows us that in spite of our imperfection, our lack of discernment in instances, here again, the church goes on. The church doesn't slow down. Do you think, do you think those people that had seen the signs and heard the message of Christ, the preaching of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, And all that rejoicing, do you think that what Simon did was able to squelch the rejoicing and the the blessing that was upon so many there in Samaria? Do you think think Simon was able to, to quench the fire of revival in Samaria? No way. No way. The people that it received, received. And the people there that were saved, were saved. And the people that, that were rejoicing in Jesus, were rejoicing in Jesus. One person, one event is not going to change God's will for the church. Because right on the heels of this, we have an Ethiopian receiving Christ. And unfortunately, we don't have time for that uh, tonight, but next time we'll begin in verse 25. A very instructive uh, passage there with Simon, the magician, uh, and Luke really zeroing in on that, that situation. So, prayer requests as we conclude tonight. Anyone with a prayer request? We're praying for Pearl.